Hey, welcome to the Living Hope Finley podcast. I'm here with my friends again, Dave and Dewey. So we had a big snowstorm last week and uh, got to have some fun out in the snow. So uh, I want to hear what you guys did in the snow last week or even on into this weekend. Well, I struggled with a little bit of jealousy as I saw my neighbor with his gas, you know, a snow snowblower, blower, yeah. you know, make his... That's make that. his uh, Tenth oh. commandment, shall not covet, yeah. right? <laughs> I was coveting my neighbor's snowblower <laughs> as I was shoveling my front. But uh, I made lemon. I made lemonade out of those lemons because I made a big pile and then the kids and I dug some holes in it and made some snow caves, so... Awesome. Yeah. So I'm not trying to cause you to sin, Dave, <laughs> <laughs> but I have a front-end loader on my tractor... Oh, but my driveway is, weighs probably four times as like wide and long, and I live out in the country. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I piled up with my tractor. I piled up piles of snow, nice. like snow mountains for my kids. So we Sledding? did the same. Kids go down. No, the we sleds? did the same thing. We built okay. like the tunnels oh. through. And now I would say this neighbor in particular is an awesome guy. Loves the Lord and has offered many times for me to use his snowboard. <laughs> I decided not to, but I had this internal struggle. Well, that that was heavy snow last week, though. So you're probably on my back was aching. I shoveled just a little bit. Man, so we, um, uh, my daughter wanted to go out and play in the snow. So over the weekend, so the snow was nice and hard. So we cut out like little uh, snow chunks and made like this fort. That was pretty cool. Nice. And then I relived my childhood. I remember when in elementary school, we built uh, big snow sculptures, and then we took uh, food coloring, put it in a spray bottle, so you could spray spray color it um, different colors. So it's genius. We, yes. I pulled this out of my archives. I and, never uh, thought about that. Spray painted or spray whatever, spray bottled the uh, fort, a little bit of blue and green. That's awesome. All the sun came out the next day, and that all went away. So the color no longer exists, but we had a good time with it too. So those great ideas always come afterwards. I yeah. was just thinking, like, man, I should have got some like done snow cone syrup, you know? Yeah. And there you go. It's too late now. Yeah. Well, uh, the snow is still around, um, and we had some fun. But we're on to a heavy topic today—a topic that lots of people are dealing with in the very practical. Um, probably we've all dealt with it to some extent, uh, but we've, we were just rehearsing here uh, conversations we had with people even after yesterday's sermon or other examples that we can have. We're talking about the, the topic of forgiveness and peace in relationships and how do you deal with difficult people, you know, difficult situations or situations that have caused you deep hurt and you're just struggling to forgive. So that's the topic for today. So uh, Pastor Dewey preached yesterday, and would you mind pulling up Romans 12 there and reading the scripture, verse 17 through 21? So yeah. did an awesome job, by the way, on the, on the message. Lots for people to think about, so let's All right. dive in. Let's read it. Uh, Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, thank you. So Romans 12, let's set some context here, guys. Romans 12 obviously comes after 
Romans 1 through 11. We've talked about the gospel, but it's worth mentioning again. So, Dave, what's, what's Romans 1 through 11 about in sum? The gospel. Okay. That God, in his great mercy, instead of condemning the world and condemning us, saved us. He chose us. He sent his son to pay the debt that we owe to God. And by Jesus living a perfect righteousness, which by trusting in Jesus by faith, we are declared justified. We're right with God because of Jesus' obedience and his righteousness, not our own. Therefore. Therefore. 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God. And then we've walked through the first part of Romans 12, um, presenting our whole lives as worship uh, as response to this mercy which then leads to uh, my attitude of humility versus um, arrogance in the church, and then serving God with my gifts and being a blessing to others as well as glorifying God with it, and then acts of love that are outlined in verses 9 through uh, 16, uh, different ways that we can use our gifts and sharing and showing love within this new community called the church that the Holy Spirit has brought about. Then we get on to the subject of Forgiveness. Now, why do you think the Roman Christians needed to hear this in terms of the f- initial context or initial uh, occurrence of this? So we've talked occasion. about this. We've talked about this um, several times, and it really came clear, I think, in in chapter two, and then in our discussion <clears throat> in um, well, our sermons through Romans nine, ten, and eleven, where you have this Jew and Gentile distinction, and so you know. It's not specific here, but it's very probable that you have some Christians with a Jewish background feeling like, you know, we had the law, we have the prophets, we have this this lineage, you know, we're top tier Christians and you Gentiles, you kind of, you came in last <laughs> and you got... You know, I'm picturing the Indiana Jones uh, um, vision in my head of the movie where he slides underneath that that closing yeah, you just got, stone door. Just got in, yeah. Just got in, <laughs> Gentiles. So, so you know, it's really explicit in chapter two. Um, you know, uh, the circumcision calling the uh, the 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 non-circumcision. You know, and then Paul's making it clear. In nine, it's like, look, you're not saved by your works. You're not saved by, you know, the advantage you have as a Jew. You're saved by the work of God. And so it really levels the playing field. Well, yeah, like Romans 1-2 is like a one-two punch, right? First punch is Gentiles. Hey, look what the Gentiles do. You know, they're worshiping idols, and it's it's resulting in all this immorality. Jewish believers are like, like, yeah, "Yeah, go get them all. Give it to them, Paul. Give it to them. You know? And then Paul goes to the Jew, and it's like, and you uh, talk about the law, and you teach the law, and you don't keep it. And you're no better off. The same things. Yeah. So you you all suck. <laughs> <laughs> what verse is that? Spine <laughs> paraphrase. <laughs> that's the uh, modern day summary. Uh, that's Stop the uh, yeah. That's the uh, California public school <laughs> background standard version. Then I also think verse fourteen has something to do with this too. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So it seems like both. There's lots of opportunity for unforgiveness and bitterness within 
and from without. Yeah, a lot of the commentaries I I was reading, it's like Paul kind of in chapter twelve. It's kind of this this in and out of of church relationships, and then our re, like Christians' relationship with the world. And there's not like a clear distinction. So this bless those who persecute you. That persecution could be coming from without and from within. Um, and especially in the section that I just read, you know, we have to apply that both, you know, to believers and unbelievers. Well, even reading into the background, right, we've talked about this before, but the Jews were expelled from Rome for some reason. And we have some reason to think that it could be from some infighting over the gospel. And now they're coming back. And so, yeah, not only is there maybe issues within the church, but even within the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians, mm-hmm. probably a lot of nastiness going on. Yeah. So never pay back evil for evil to <clears throat> anyone. So that's our first response, though, isn't it? This is like completely con. This is this is appealing, or this is a uh, an indictment against the sinful nature. If you do something to me, my first reaction is I'm coming right back at you. Is I want to hurt na- you. The- is it sinful nature to want justice, though? Well, I no, want justice, but I want to oh, see you suffer, though. We want justice, but in our flesh, right? Selfish, you know how we like, want justice. I want, you, <laughs> I want you to hurt as badly as I am hurting, you love or YouTube, you hurt my loved one. You love the YouTube bad karma videos just as much <laughs> as I do. It's like I, do. I can't. We love to see what they get it. What they what they have coming yeah. to them. That's the kind of justice. I reminded like. myself that social media was taking note of the fact that I did not continue to scroll when that Road Rage Revenge video came up. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to feed them, but I watched but it. But you watched yeah, it. I did. And here now so the algorithm is feeding justice. you more videos. The justice we want is is justice in our own eyes. Yeah. And we want to be, we want to be, you know, judge, jury, and executioner. Mm-hmm. But I think this passage is really challenging us that, Stay in your lane, bro. It's not you. It's it's that's God's. And hey, so, we'll go into that. What do you mean by stay in your lane? That was something you brought up yesterday with the the passage. I thought that was good. So in in um this part where it's vengeance is mine, I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, this is verse twenty. Feed him if he is thirsty. Give him something to drink. Um, <clears throat> for by so doing, you will heap burning coals in his head. Um. So this idea that vengeance is God, it, God's, it's not ours. It's not ours to pay. Um, the, the, the burning coals ultimately is something that God is in charge of, um, which we can talk about that later. But, you know, that, that's, that's God's jurisdiction. And, um, and then at the beginning of verse 19, I think this might be what you're talking about, Blair. Beloved, um, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Um, do you have the NASB there in yours? Yeah, which verse? Um, which verse, verse the beginning of verse 19. Never take your own yeah. revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. And so leave room for the wrath of God kind of, I think, maybe gives a better picture. It's like, I can take up that space or I can leave room for God to take up that space. And so when I'm operating in that space of taking up revenge, I'm operating in God's space. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what God is meant to do versus letting God have that space or leaving room for God yeah, to give that, take give vengeance. That space, give that place to God. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that connects with the opposite too? Like we are celebrating and rejoicing that salvation comes from God, not from our own doing. It is 
God's grace. He saved us. He opened our eyes. He just lavished us with forgiveness and new identity. And so we celebrate that it's God who saves people, not me. And that I don't save myself. When I think that goes to the question about context, it's like, how in the world can I do this? And this is the tension I think we feel when we come to this passage. It's like, how can, how can we be asked to, to do this when we are the victim? We're the one getting hurt. We're the one that, that is being wronged. And now you're asking me to like be the bigger person and not respond. And, and to your point, Dave, it's, yeah, <laughs> because God has done that to you. God responded to you in grace or better yet, God didn't respond. God acted on his own um, righteous merit to you who were sinful in grace. So we're to follow the example of Jesus Christ and treat people that way. But the person really hurt me. I mean, they did something wrong. They deserve to get punished. And if I treat them with uh, courtesy and grace and mercy, that's letting them off the hook. They need to be held accountable for their for their actions. I'm going to say three things. Okay. Your sermon's coming, Romans <laughs> 13, <laughs> 1 through 7. So there is a place, if it's a legal issue, there is a place for the government to operate. God has delegated authority, so there is a lane for the government to operate. And what is what is... <clears throat> what does government do? They, they're they a terror to evil, right? And so that's the first thing. The second thing is, is justice is served either on the cross or in eternal fire. Mm-hmm. And so for us to take vengeance and try to take that into our space or, or we try to execute justice on our own terms we're, we're saying either God's delegated authorities aren't sufficient, the crosses is not sufficient, or God's means of, of eternal fire is not sufficient. And so that might be a hard pill to swallow, but that's the, the biblical perspective. Well, also you mentioned the Matthew 18 example of this story that Jesus told of the unforgiving servant. So um, a king is owed money by all of his, uh, many of his servants. He brings them before him one by one to settle accounts. There's one uh, servant who owes him 10,000 talents. Yeah, an extraordinarily uh, incomprehensible amount of money. Pay in uh, multiple lifetimes. Ever. And he pleads for mercy. And the king says, "I'll, I'll forgive you of this debt. And then. Not too long after that, this this forgiven servant then goes out to a fellow servant who owes him just a, you know, a really small amount of money. Could be paid back, according to my expert calculations, within one year. <laughs> it's manageable, manageable debt. Uh, but he would not, uh, even though the this, this second servant pled for mercy in the same way that the first, mercy, uh, first servant had done with the king, uh, the second servant did with the forgiven servant, and he wouldn't do it. He threw him into debtor's prison. Uh, the other servants got wind of this, sent it back to the king, and the king said, listen, you don't understand forgiveness. Uh, you were you should have shown mercy also. And then Jesus ends it and says, this is how the Father will treat you. So he's thrown out. Um, he might have been dashed to pieces. I forget exactly how it ends. Um, but this is how someone 
this is how that your father will treat you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So I think back to what we're talking about earlier. It is counter. It is counter flesh. It's life in the spirit to forgive and to do the types of things which heap burning coals on people's heads uh, and to do these, you know, giving food and, and water to those who are undeserving. That's what God did with us. And the gospel is countercultural. Um, this Jesus-type way of living is brand new, scandalous, absolutely scandalous, but it's, it's, it's representative of a new way of thinking and a new kingdom and a renewed mind and part of presenting our bodies as living sacrifices to God. I can anticipate, and you started down this path, Blair, but I can anticipate the person that's listening to this, they say, okay, that's great, but you don't know what I go through every day. Mm-hmm. I'm trapped. I can't get out of it. What do we tell that person? So verse 19, Romans 12 my translation starts with beloved. I think the NASB puts it a little bit later, but I like mine. It starts with beloved, so it starts with your identity. So I'll turn it on you. So how much do you think God has to put up with every single day mm-hmm. if you walk in forgiveness as his beloved? Who Are you saying with me? Yeah. Like, you know. You're, so you're asking me to look at my own. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm asking you to look at you know what what did God have to what price did God have to pay in the giving of His Son mm-hmm. to forgive you and continually forgive you? Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, it's an, on, it's an ongoing yeah, enterprise. <laughs> it is, and and your position as beloved of God, right, as forgiven and put in a place of love and acceptance and righteousness, based wholly on Jesus and not on any of your performance, that's who you are. So as a vessel of mercy, right, as a, um, an object, a trophy of God's grace and forgiveness, mm-hmm. uh, what place do you have to be an arbiter of God's justice? Mm-hmm. That's not who you are, right? And that, that's a hard thing. So that's a hard word to say to someone who is suffering. Um, Especially if it's happening in the same household. Right. Where there's no escape from the behavior that's causing the unforgiveness. So I'm not disagreeing, but you're saying, it's like, well, yeah, you're being wronged, but look at your own wrongs, look at your own sin, and how God treats you. Well, here's an advertisement for the context of Romans 12, as well as an advertisement for the benefits of biblical counseling. (laughs) Uh, Because biblical counseling talks about the role of the church community uh, in helping people through their problems and their hurts and concerns. So let's say, let's scenario someone's in a household with someone, whether it's a mom or dad or husband or wife or maybe a grandmother or something that lives and there's unforgiveness there. How can the church then rally around that person to, to listen, to give counsel, to give direction, to hold accountable uh, for being uh, the, a Jesus-type person? in the situation where forgiveness needs to be there. So you can offer both support as well as encouragement to do the right thing and give strength to each other to face another day in this household. If you can't find solace in your own household, then I think that's where the church can come in and be of help to you. But uh, back to the Romans 12 thing, and I'll let you guys follow up on that, is this is the the new community. The new family is the church. So fellow Christians, you know, helping each other, uh, through the difficulties of life. Uh, 
Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Where does prayer come into this and and just being a support for one another? So, so I think what you're saying, Blair, is that there's a, there's a community we're part of. So that person that is in this situation where they're trapped, um, they're not alone. Right. You're trapped, but not alone. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and maybe even there's practical support within the body up to the point of, you know, coming alongside, maybe even meeting practical needs for that person. And then Dave, what you're talking about is kind of rehearsing that identity in Christ that, Hey, I can't sit in the seat of judgment, Matthew 18 kind of perspective. I have to forgive um, and so I think those are helpful tools that we, we consider as, as we're talking about this subject, because I think that's where it gets hard. It gets hard when like, I can forgive somebody when it's just a one-time thing, it wasn't a big deal, but when it's like this ongoing, like constant jab, constant, you know, yeah, because you lose suffering. trust. It's like trust is eroded. You said you were going to change, but nothing has changed. Yeah. We're in the same spot we were. Yeah. Maybe it's work. I think work's another place that I think people feel trapped. It's like, I need this job. I, and, But man, my coworker or, or maybe the customer or the boss or yeah, it's, just, client. it's mm-hmm. just constant barrage. And, you know, and then you hear a sermon like this and it's like, man, heap on, I guess. I guess, <laughs> how am I supposed to, you know? It, well, I, I think, you know, yeah. I, where do you find the power to do the hard work of of living this way? Yeah. Of not, re, of not avenging yourself. And I think that's what I'm getting at, yeah. Yeah, I, I think. Whether it's to endure yeah. or to, to overcome. I or, think there's something to be said about, I think it's dangerous if you have a very narrow view of Jesus, if you only see him as the one who came to seek and to save and to forgive, but you also miss the Jesus returning with righteousness and justice. Mm. And he, so like, who, who is, who is your Avenger? And if you say God, specifically his name is Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? The same one who came and gave himself up for you is the one who returns to execute judgment. And there is a place to to set your eyes upon Jesus as the as the judge and the punisher and the one who delivers perfectly like Amen. the judgment of God. And that is where you can have power to go. God's gonna do it perfectly, and he's there's not there's gonna be no wrong that's gonna be unmet by God's justice. Mm-hmm. I would rather that. And then me wade into myself. And there's no one thing that he misses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All all will be dealt with justly. Didn't did you mention Second Thessalonians one yesterday in your mm-hmm. sermon? I think you did. Yeah. 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 I have it here. Let me just read a couple of verses. Uh, verse six and following, Second Thessalonians one, for after all it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to do us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will 
pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. I love love that verse. Mm -hmm. And I think some people feel a little squeamish about loving that verse, Mm. but I love it. And I think we need to love that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you do not, if, if you do not have room in your heart for Jesus as the one who perfectly executes judgment, um, then you're going to falter because your view of Jesus is going to be this like Ned Flanders, always nice to people and just, you know, floating around and giving people goodies. And, you know, so we're all God's children, but grandpa Jesus, that gives you no power to actually trust him with the injustice that you have to face. Yeah. God is a God of justice. So when we are treated unfairly, unjustly, God does not turn a blind eye to that. I think, the thing about that, though, and just to continue on with the, the challenge, and these are the challenges we face as pastors. It's like, okay, but you're asking me to just stay in my situation? You're asking me to endure it? How do I endure? How do I endure? Because that judgment is coming in, in at, the, at the judgment, at the mm-hmm. final judgment. So we're talking, you know. I, I think part of that, too, is you want to stay out of that judgment. By you judging yourself, by you avenging yourself, you're wading into, you're, you're tangling yourself into the sin of others, which Jesus is going to return and judge. Mm. So I think part of it too is you realize that if you, if you act, if you react, if you avenge yourself, if you repay evil for evil, you've now tangled yourself with that person's sin. And, and that person is, is either that's going to be paid was paid by Christ on the cross because they're in Christ and they've repented and believed in Jesus, or they're going to pay for it eternally in hell. And do you really want to be tangled in with the judgments that's coming to that person who's doing evil to you? You will get entangled in that if you step in as judge. So I think part of it too is like, man, this is a slippery slope. You start stepping into this, you are partnering with them in their sin. And, and there's judgment for that. I want to say this before I forget, and then I'll answer your question. So uh, we went through a series back in November on the persecuted church. Um, and then so Romans twelve fourteen, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And I think you can go down to verse 17 and following, leaving room for the vengeance of God. How do people who are constantly persecuted, how do they endure every single day? There has to be room in their theology and in their faith to say, God, you are you are um, observing, and uh, I'm participating with you in suffering, and you will bring about retribution at the right time. But in the midst of that, Jesus says, you know, uh, pray for your persecutors, um, bless those who persecute you, pray for those who persecute you. Wow! So you're asking in the midst of the harm that they're bringing to you to be uh, God. You would open up their eyes. So what do you do? Well, I think verse 18 has something to do. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So what can you do? Are there some practical things to try to bring about reconciliation, um, a, a, um, a forgiveness, and a peace in the relationship? What do you think those things might be? If you think about situations that you've, you've faced or others are facing where there's unforgiveness, how can someone resolve and dissolve the resentment in their heart towards someone. Well, I think one thing you said, and maybe 
not to pick too much on what you said, but I think this can unburden some people. First of all, you are not ultimately the one that brings reconciliation, mm-hmm. right? God could use you to bring reconciliation, but ultimately that's not on you. You haven't failed. If you do not return, you do not try to avenge yourself, right? You're good to those who are evil to you. And if the relationship never becomes reconciled, mm-hmm. that is not on you. Right. That's ultimately on Jesus and God who reconciles people to himself and given us a ministry of reconciliation. So just as we don't save people, we can't fix a relationship, right? Yet, but, you know, we can be used by God to bring healing, and we might see reconciliation, but it's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. So I think, first of all, having that realistic expectation. Right. Like, I could forgive someone from my heart. It doesn't mean that that relationship is going to be reconciled. Yeah, we might have the same friendship we had before, but we also might not. And I think the the onus here is to do what you can do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as far as it depends upon you. So you do you need to forgive. You need to not repay. And you can pray. You can, you know, verse 20, you can um, feed your enemy if, if mm-hmm. he's hungry or give him a drink if he's hungry. The results, what you're talking about, Dave, it's it's on God. It, it's up to God to, right? And so we're going to let God be God. Mm-hmm. We're going to do what we can do. And I'm not going to expect, you know, to, to operate in God's space. And, and, um, as far as it depends upon me, I'm, I'm called to live at peace. Here's a question. Let's say, so the Bible is calling me to forgive people who have hurt me, whether perceived or real. What if that person is continually involved in destructive behavior, be it criminal or just really hurtful? And when we talk about living at peace with someone, am I to expect full fellowship with that person? Is that how you measure whether I've forgiven someone or not? Well, I do think it's important in this conversation that if there are things illegal going on, again, Romans 13 gives space for that. Yeah. Romans 13, one through seven gives space. Like, I don't think as Christians, and I, I hope I made this clear yesterday, like that we That's should- why we had the podcast because we don't get to say <laughs> everything on Sunday. <laughs> as Christians, we don't just like bury your head in the sand and live in denial- like there is a time and a place to call the police. Like if there are illegal things happening or if there's abuse and and a child is in danger or whatever it might be, like I think as Christians, we have a responsibility. Like turning the other cheek doesn't say, well, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't get the, the legal authorities involved. No, Romans 13 makes it clear that, that God's instituted this, this as a terror for evil. Right. So, so I think that would be the first thing. The other thing, yeah, maybe it's just that just annoying and it's just ongoing. And, um, like, how do we respond to that? Um, I, I think there's room for, I, I referenced yesterday, Ken Sandy's book, um, the peacemaker right. that, um, there are biblical responses to situations sometimes, that we need to deploy. And he goes into that. He talks about attack responses versus uh, escape responses versus biblical responses. And so sometimes that means we need to pursue counseling or we need to pursue 
you know, mediation, mediation, mm-hmm. or maybe it's just a simple confrontation. Maybe, maybe the person that's hurting you, they don't know. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And they'd be very quick to say, I, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I, yeah. really, I didn't know I was doing that. They're just maybe insensitive or maybe their background doesn't yeah. make, they don't feel like that's a wrong thing and they just need to, in a gentle way, be confronted. So I, I think that's great. And I think to bring uh, the passage we were looking at to bear on what you're saying, I'm looking at verse 18, right? So the first clause is, if possible. Mm-hmm. I think that invites you to think about how would it be possible to see right this this result yeah and so sometimes that is bringing like calling 911 right or calling the police mm-hmm. sometimes that is like some um you know extra extra steps to try to seek resolution mm-hmm. or reconciliation so i think uh there's there's a point to consider like is is it possible and then you also said it dewey if possible so far as it depends on you so I'm staying in my lane, but what could I possibly do to po- live at peace with this person? Mm-hmm. And I think that opens up a whole realm of possibilities, understanding I can only do what I can do, but I could be creative in thinking about how can I bring peace to the situation. It's not just smiling when someone yells at you. Yeah. Yeah. I think I tried to make, and I know there's other cultural things I didn't really bring out, you know, when Jesus, I think it's Matthew 5, you know, challenges us to turn the other cheek, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I think it, at the broadest sense, an observation there would be that we don't respond like our natural response would be. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody punches my cheek, my, my first response is going to be, out. fist mm-hmm. is out. I'm coming with another. Jesus has turned the other cheek, right? Well, you, you can even be legalistic with that. So, you know, I was just going back to, so Matthew, Matthew 5, verse 43, that's where Jesus says, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that's not in the Old Testament. That's right. the kind of what the scribes were teaching. They added to. They added to. That's not in the Bible. It doesn't say hate your enemy. So you've heard it say love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, mm-hmm. that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. And so you could be legalistic about this. Like someone cuts you off, right? And and sticks up his longest finger. <laughs> Bless <laughs> right? their soul. And, right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean... Um, you could be legalist about it. It's like, I'm not going to hunk back. I'm I'm not going to do road rage. I'm going to control myself. But hope you, but you say to yourself, <laughs> I was like, have fun burning in hell. Right? But then again, what is that? Like that's yeah. anger towards, that's towards someone. Concealed, yeah, and yeah, concealed and murder. And Jesus really. calls that murder. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. And so you could be outwardly, you know, I'm not going to repay, but inwardly you can have something in your heart that's wrong. And I think to add to that, I think to go with what you're talking about if possible and then in verse 17 it says give thought to mm-hmm. right when we create legalisms yeah when we have legalistic responses like we don't have to give thought <laughs> i have a structured way i'll respond to somebody who attacks me with smile you know, and wave boys smile and smile wave, and wave. <laughs> but but i think the challenge here is that as christians we're thoughtful people yeah and I mean, oftentimes I think we operate in that legalistic mode where we want to codify everything mm-hmm. and have a a legalistic response that seems like the biblical response, but it it's not very thoughtful. It's not really. But thought is work, Dewey. Wrestling with stuff is hard. 
What? I'm just, yeah, it is know, easier. It, it is, is easier to respond out of emotion and just what I want in the moment. My own personal sense of justice has been violated. But the the good news of Jesus takes thought, um, pensiveness, and planning. Okay, so I'm not to take revenge. I'm rather to do very nice things for them. Verse 20. Wow, that's a lot to overcome. So you're letting the mercy of God flow from God through to you, through you, onto someone else. Yeah, and I think I'm. All, we're also saying that not only is it it's really easy to be impulsive and respond. It's also easy to be stiff upper lip, right? Control yourself, but not con- but not have mm-hmm. mastery over your heart, right? Yeah, and not inner, let the gospel yeah. really, because there's lots of people. I mean, you know, you you see this. It's like some people when they get older, that nastiness that's been hidden inside right, really comes, comes out. out. Yeah, it's the like, guards are down. Mm-hmm. I've known people, yeah. sweetest lady, until she really told you what she thought. Right. Mm-hmm. Bless your heart. It was hidden yeah, away. It was hidden away. But yeah. when it came out, we're just like, wow. Yeah. Is that really what you think of me? So Oof. that, okay, I have a question. And let's try to tackle this. So back in Matthew 18, Jesus says you have to forgive your person, forgive uh, a person from the heart. What is the process of forgiveness? Like, so the scripture says to forgive, uh, to live at peace. How do I then, like, how, what's the mechanics of that? Here's. <laughs> Here's, I think, a practical, like, here again, we could codify that. Like, we could make a rule about where my heart, like, you know, I could even get so legalistic, I measure my pulse, and then until I get down to <laughs> 67 beats a minute, then I'll go and talk to the person, right? So I think we have to see this in light of the gospel, and and we respond if we keep it in the context of Matthew 18, we respond in a way that God has responded to us. And from that place, I, I deal with it. So if, if whatever thoughtful, as I pray about it, as I seek counsel, whatever thoughtful response, right? I'm doing that from a place of, of gospel motivation. Like I've been treated this way. Um, Versus making it like, okay, is my heart in the right place? Because I don't know if our heart will ever actually be in the perfect right place. Will it? I mean, I mean, I think we're we're it'll be a long lifelong process of working out our salvation. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the only one that that ultimately has their heart heart in the right place. And so, um, I got to respond based on the gospel and humility. Um, so help me there. I Yeah, do, do you I'm think that to, the forgive from the heart, I don't see that as a one and done, but this continual thing we walk in, right? So like, so for example, if it's like, hey, I tried to forgive this person, it's not working out. It's like, well, let me ask you, did you, did you try to receive God's forgiveness? Did you try <laughs> to... To walk in his love, right? Or are you like failing forward in perpetually walking perpetually in his love? walking in his love and walking Constant in the gospel. Right. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean that you're constantly like you're saying, like our hearts are continually like not in the place it should be. Right. 
But that's why there's walking with Jesus, walking in the Spirit, being mindful of the gospel, not having gospel amnesia, keep preaching to ourselves. It's this constant thing we get to walk in. This. So, I I I know we get off on tangents here, but I'm still I'm still that person saying, okay, I know Jesus is coming, but I think you're helping me answer the question. Like we're saying here that this this enduring, this ongoing forgiveness. If you're feeling like like trapped and obviously you're praying that God would somehow bring resolution, right? That's, that's what you want, but it may not happen. But we have this like eternal hope that one day Jesus is going to set the record straight. Justice will happen, whether it's on the cross, yeah. uh, Jesus, you know, paying that price and that person coming and trusting and putting their faith in Jesus or at the final judgment. And so there's an element here that what we're saying is, is this walking in this kind of forgiveness and this grace and this gospel is there's an element here of endurance and that power, that strength to endure comes from the gospel. Yeah. And, and guess what? There's a reward in it too, because I have a savior who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but he entrusted himself to a faithful creator while doing good, somewhere in First Peter. But that's Jesus. Yeah. So guess what? The, you get to experience and be more like Jesus as you walk in this. So I, I had turned to Romans chapter 5, and it talks about um, verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Mm-hmm. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. It's like we have to, I think, change the metric. So much of, I think, the world's metric is these people wronged me, so I want a peaceful relationship. Or, um, man, I've been trying to do things the right way, and I only get repaid with persecution. And God's saying the metric as a Christian isn't, isn't, you know, perfect relationships or no persecution and constant peace all around like on this earth the metric that god uses in the here now is the development of character Mm -hmm. and conforming us to the image of his son Mm -hmm. romans 8 28 and 29 so it's like maybe part of the ability to endure is living in walking in this constant focus on the gospel as well as enjoying and embracing the development of my character and and so i mean i think that's what paul's talking about where when he talks about sharing in the sufferings of christ like you 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 know uh you you experience a piece of what jesus experienced in his earthly ministry you really are and and that's something that no earthly person can experience apart from the gospel is that why we hear all the time like we saw it here in Romans 5, and is it James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you mm-hmm. face trials of right. any kinds? It's like, consider it joy? Yeah, because like, God is doing something. Because who you like. Yeah. And you're more like the person who you're in, Jesus. You're more like the person who God is conforming and tr- transforming your life to into. Um See if you guys agree with this. Um, back to that question about the mechanics of forgiveness. I believe scripturally that 
forgiveness is both an act of the will and then also this ongoing process. So back to the Matthew 18 passage, um, I had it here, I forget what verse it was, the very end of that chapter. Um, this is what the Father will do to each of you if you do not forgive his brother from, your brother from your heart. Uh, the form of that word is speaking of you have to, like a decisive, I'm going to forgive them. Boom. Then you go to Ephesians 4.32, it talks about um, forgiving one another uh, as God in Christ has forgiven you. So God's decisive judicial action by faith in Christ, by his grace, is we stand forgiven. Boom. Done. And then in the Christian community, there's this ongoing forgiveness that flows from God through us to one another, because there's constant grievances, there's constant... Um, uh, opportunity for us to hold things against each other, constant opportunity for resentment. So that forgiveness needs to, each time there's an offense, there has to be the dealing out of forgiveness to match that. So would you agree that forgiveness is both an act of the will, a one-time decision, plus a, a process, meaning every time, it might come up in my hurt feelings again, it might pop up again. So I have to then remind myself, speak to myself, say, no, I've forgiven that person. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's that, that different than like salvation, right? So professing and confessing and believing in Jesus, is that a decision of the will? Yes. Mm -hmm. Does God persevere you in faith to the end? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is it something you decide, but you also walk in continually? Yes. Yeah. And like imperfectly with you know, walking in forgiveness, it's the same thing. You have to pull the trigger, right, and decide response to the gospel, I'm not going to hold this against this person. I'm going to forgive them from my heart. But then that decision is followed up by a persevering, and I'm going to walk in that because there's going to be times where I'm going to be tempted again and again to to bring up that list. Yes. And, and I, I think that what I agree with all of that, and I think that temptation – we have as Christians is to constantly second guess. Right. Was my heart good enough? <laughs> was it right? Did I do it right? Uh, was Wait, it enough? Don't, don't people doubt their was, salvation the same way? But I think yeah, that I forgiveness think that, is, a, is a choice, not a feeling. When I, when I get to the point that I have to, f when I wait to forgive someone until I get to the point I feel like it, mm -hmm. my goodness, that's going to be a lot of years. Yeah, uh, but, but that's it's, that's it's, I think that's the reality of where people are is they constantly live in that feeling yeah. versus what well, you're they've saying, never come to me and said that they're will. sorry. They've yeah. never acknowledged what they did wrong. I just don't feel like I can do that at this point in my life. I just can't do that and it's not where I'm at. You can't. Or even or <laughs> yeah, even true. they they say, "You know, I forgave that person, but did I really? Did I yeah. do it right? Mm -hmm. Did I say the right things or should I go up to that person? Should I say something to them?" And and so I think that's where we have to be careful not to live in this, this like legalistic, like, <laughs> I remember so many times it's like, I couldn't, I had somewhere in my mind, this idea that until I apologize somebody to somebody, could I be forgiven? And so I would, I would like not take communion because it's like, I so wanted to, I, I so believed the gospel, but it's like, oh, I can't take communion until I go up and talk to that person. And, and I had to say certain words and I had to like, like, 
use the word I'm sorry. And then it, it became, you know, that's not in the Bible. I should ask for forgiveness. So then I had to say, <laughs> will you forgive me for, me for yeah. specifically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And until I did those things, I couldn't take communion. And that was just mm-hmm. something I did in my mind. And it's like, that's not the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's how we live in this, because it's not really from the heart until I do those things. Yeah. And well, you see the same thing with people who struggle with their salvation. It's like, well, I'm struggling. I must be a dysfunctional Christian. I mustn't have done it right. Yeah. And we do the same thing with forgiveness. Like, I'm still struggling with forgiveness with that person. I must have not have really forgiven them. Right. Whereas, like, neither of those are scriptural. <laughs> and what you're saying, Blair, and what this passage is saying is, no, it's like, no, I have. Mm-hmm. It's done. It's a settled deal. And we have to keep coming back to that reality whether we feel like it or not. Yeah, and then I'm leaving, back to our original points, uh, 17, 18, 19, I'm leaving ultimate justice in the hands of God. So my role is to forgive, to do my best to reconcile as much as it is possible, to live at peace in this relationship. Um, Ultimately, the final outcome, the final resolution is in God's hands. But there is a part. So verse 20, let's talk about that. There's some interesting stuff there. Your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Um, so rather than taking vengeance, we're to actually do the opposite, right? So my natural thing is I, I want to get back at them. I want them to hurt how I hurt. Uh, but rather, I'm supposed to do something else. Well, and I think that speaks to the fact that we're not helpless. Like, we can fight back. Okay. Right? We can We can fight back, but we fight back in a biblical way, right? So so in my sermon notes, as you're talking about this, I wrote down, kill him with kindness. Is that right? Did I interpret that correctly? Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I just think the temptation is to think, oh, I'm a victim, I'm helpless. But yeah, you kill him with kindness okay. or, or do something. So I can go on the offensive. I don't have to... Yeah, at very okay, least, you good. can pray for your enemies. Mm-hmm. That's good. Pray for those who persecute. You can be in prayer. And I would w- wage... War or wonder if <laughs> if the war that we need to wage is is against the powers and the principalities right. of this dark age. And I, I think point. I didn't bring that out in my sermon. I was thinking about it. It's like you know, I wonder if we're really waging war at that level. Like I'm in this terrible work environment. Am I fasting and praying? Am I mm-hmm. calling out for God to do something in my heart at least? And and maybe there's something going on in that. <laughs> I, I think you see that in this verse, that it's both. So, you know, the first part, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Very practical, physical, earthly. He's hungry. And it's like, why Why would you feed your enemy? You're just empowering someone who's abusing. And, you know, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Again, it's like these earthly responses, that's so counterhuman. Who does that? Who feeds you know, the army that is fighting against you. That doesn't make any sense. But I think then the rest of the verse goes down to here's spiritually what's happening. By doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head, right? And so it's like, physically, it makes no logical sense. This is so counterhuman that you would be nice to someone who would just is just going to take it and abuse it and, and maybe even hurt you more. But Jesus is saying, but behind, underneath it, is this reality that you're putting burning coals in his head. Let's talk further about that. So that's a quote from Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. And that's a really odd saying. In terms of my ears, my cultural ears, you're going to heap burning coals on his head. What in the world does that mean? 
So what'd you get? What'd you discover, Dewey, when you were doing well, some? Well, uh, I think research it ultimately there? is is focusing. You know, vengeance is mine. What we've been talking about: ultimate justice will happen, and at the final judgment. And so, burning coals um, have something to do with, you know, judgment. Um, Fire and, and judgment. So I heard, I heard this, that this is actually a good thing. So, in, in ancient times, people would come <laughs> along with a pan, and maybe they couldn't start a fire. So I'm coming to their home where they're cooking, and you're doing good thing to them, that you're giving them a coal to take home so that they can start their own fire at home. So by doing good works to them, it's like you're doing this ultimate good deed of giving them fire. Okay. I, I okay. I I'm, I'm so happy what? that you heard that because <laughs> yeah. I heard something similar as a okay. new believer and I'm like right. that doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> so, I was a new believer in college and I was in a Bible study with an older guy in college. Uh he was also in college, but like, you know, he grew up in the church and he had lots of Bible knowledge and I respected him. And we were talking about this verse, and he's like, yeah, in ancient Near Eastern times. <laughs> now, he didn't say exactly like you said, but he said something similar. He's like, people would have really big turbans, and in the winter, it would get really cold. And so you would put coals on like a little like tin pan <laughs> on your turban, right? And so really, to, to heap on coals onto someone's head is doing them a favor, Keep keeping them warm. Them warm. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening to that, I was like... That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. That makes no sense, but okay. But you know, as later on, you're just like, but but if he used the words ancient Near East or in antiquity, it makes it gives a credibility, right? Well, yes. So Didn't I'm, you know that I'm such picking as... up on the sarcasm. <laughs> so so th- that's the problem. Like that's the that's the challenge. Like I mean, this is I think this is why we teach people how to study the Bible. Yeah. Because it's very easy to uh take this his like take a something sensationalized well yeah. what you do is like oh i'm going to use archaeology or i'm going to use yeah. you know something you know um some kind of like scholarly historical background and and make the verse completely different than what it means and it's easier to do that and go shrug your shoulders and go okay i guess that's what it means instead of actually like read the context of the verse mm-hmm. right because if you read the context of the verse and especially where it comes from in proverbs 25 that's not what it means this is not a good thing. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of ridiculous. Like how, you know, it's like, oh, my turban, I'm kind of cold. You know, can I have some coals? And it's like, okay, the phrase here is heaping, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, you know, you just didn't give me a, a few scoop. coals. A you gave me a heap. Uh, Thank you so much. Full. Yeah. I just need a bunch of but burning isn't coals that, on my head. Burning my isn't head that at that all. The, <laughs> the good, great. Isn't that the good of the, the context is, is doing good for those who treat us evil? Isn't it? Isn't it? It you know, is, overcoming but you had pointed out with something from an article you read, which I, as we discussed yeah. before. So, um, Romans 2, 4, and 5, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So I think uh, you had said it much better. Let me take a stab at it here. So when you're when you're doing these nice things, loving things, counter fleshly things, but gospel centered things for people who um, who have hurt you, you're demonstrating good works. You're demonstrating a new kingdom way, a new creation way of doing things, and the goal would then to be either to help them lead them to repentance because you're physically demonstrating the the gospel 
and the motive of what God did for us on the cross, or that hardens their heart and then that stores up wrath for them on the day of wrath. Yeah, I think we did I say it correctly? Yeah. We use the illustration of just in preparation talking here of the sun. It it melts the snow, it hardens the clay. Right? The gospel does not it's it's always efficient. It's always going to do one of two things. It's either going to cause people to resist or cause people to have faith. And so so the heaping of burning coals actually is, is like you're saying, positioning people to be responsible for this, this good done to them. Um, and if they are just continuing in their, they're setting up themselves for greater judgment. Can you guys think of any, um, examples? I mean, uh, any testimonies of someone who maybe was evil towards a Christian and that Christian was kind in return, and that was part of them coming to faith in Christ. I'm going to read this verse. I was just about to ask you the same question. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll ask you uh, guys let me, first. Let me ask this, all right. or read this, and then we'll go to that question, because yeah. it all has to do with the same thing, all right. and it gives us time to think. Uh, so, First <laughs> Peter 2.12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in a thing which they slander you as evildoers. So, there's pressure from the outside. That could cause resentment, like I'm not doing anything wrong. Um, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So the good deeds, um, as an unexpected response to their reviling, um, helps to, um, the good deeds then in return, help to show people there's a God in heaven who has changed these people and leads them to repentance. So uh, did you guys think of any stories? I couldn't think of any stories. Do you have one? I do. Okay, thank you. I have a couple. But so uh, these are the kind of testimonies that I don't share a lot of. Okay. Because I think it makes people feel uncomfortable um, because it has burning coals on people's heads. But also, but the good comes out of it. So uh, I had a good friend of mine who was bringing the gospel to an unreached village. And there was a, a family that was seeking um, seeking the Lord and, and learning about Jesus. And he would come and he would, uh, him and his family, and they'd teach the kids uh, songs about Jesus and start teaching the Bible. And they were getting, I think, close to making a decision. Well, there were neighbors across the street who were relatives of this family, and they kept harassing this believer really nasty, um, abusing him, saying all kinds of falsehood about him, just and eventually pushed him out of the village. And uh, this mission, you know, this this Christian was just grieved over this. He he felt like the Lord was really opening a door for ministry, but this one family was just just awful. But he, you know, to this believer's credit, he did. He was very gracious. He didn't yell back. He didn't try to seek revenge, any of that. But he did stop going to that village. Well, he felt led by the Lord about a year later to come back this family who was abusing and speaking all kinds of evil against them said, we need to talk to you because we want to become Christians. We need to become Christians. And they told the story of like, after you left, we felt like God's judgment was on us because you did not do anything against us. And we spoke all kinds of evil against you. And, and our family had a bunch of, uh, our, um, people in our family had miscarriage after miscarriage, and we felt like God's judgment was on us 
Now, I, I don't know, like, wow. you know, really huh. what's going on behind the scenes, but like, this is part of them coming to faith. This whole family came to faith. They really sensed this, we were in the wrong, God's judgment is over us, we need to get right with God. And um, I don't think that would have happened, right, if if the if the Christian sought revenge or was contentious mm-hmm. about it. But God used that to lead this whole family to Christ and really open up this village of the gospel. Because when a Christian doesn't respond the way that is anticipated, I mean, Jesus on the cross, yeah. you know, he, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Even in his process of him being tortured, he didn't respond. And it was so peculiar to the his persecutors. What, you're not going to answer? You're not going to defend yourself? Well, even so, you have like the Roman centurion, right? Yeah, the person yes. who's totally in the Surely blind about who man. the Messiah is. Yeah, Surely and it's like he's seeing it through his suffering. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I used the illustration in my sermon yesterday yeah. of just the man who, you know, his daughter was murdered, and the father went to jail to to minister to the murderer of his daughter. Yeah, and eventually that man became a believer. And this guy continued to go and disciple him. And that was a true story. I think I've heard several stories like that. And in my own life, you know, when I worked in a homeless shelter, you know, I think there were several cases where, you know, people were breaking the rules or I had to, you know, deal with a situation and wasn't perfect by any means. But when I dealt with it, oftentimes in a gracious way, there would be a response that I wouldn't expect from people. And um, I think there was a couple instances in my mind where I had to address a situation in, in a way, but I, I think I did it in a gracious way. And that person I had to actually ask to leave the homeless shelter in recent history called me back and mm. was wanting to talk and work through some spiritual things. So I think there's probably at differing levels, examples of that. And so, you know, just to clarify, there's probably two possible meanings of this text. Yeah. The third is, is not right. (laughs) It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Don't put coals on people's turban. That's not (laughs) nice. (laughs) Spiritually, that's what you do (laughs) when you, when you feed your enemy, right? But like the two is one is this, you know, God could use it to bring this sense of guilt, uh, guilt of not right remorse, with God, yeah. remorse of they're not in the right, that need, they need to get right with God. And God could use that to lead people, right? Um, and the other interpretation could be, this just could be end times judgment kind of thing. Yeah. It's like this person, Jesus is going to come back, they're kindling, and guess what? You already got it started. Yeah. Um, and, and, every, you're, and you're out of it because you were good. You were kind to you. Yeah. So you're not tangled in with the judgment. You're, And I think either way, God's justice is happening. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was John Piper who said, you know, when we try to take vengeance back for ourselves, what we're saying is, you know, either the cross where God's ju- justice is executed is not sufficient to deal with this issue or second, that hell is not an appropriate or right, um, you know, response to this issue. So either way, we're saying God Mm -hmm. isn't doing what he should be doing, but 
on the contrary, it's like either the cross is applied to this person because they come to faith and they repent or they are judged eternally. Hey, I want to throw this out to you as sort of a final little case study. And then I want to walk through the five responses you had yesterday in the connection card. I thought those were really good. So what do I do if I have been trying to reconcile with someone for years? I mean, we're talking 15 plus years. What do I do? So Romans twelve eighteen. I mean, I don't know what else to do. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. But uh, I just can't bring peace to this relationship. I, I think this is really meaningful to people who are really suffering, especially long term with being someone just being relentlessly evil and you not being able to, you know, uh, see any change out of it. I think this doesn't make sense. If you, if you're not experiencing this, like this, this isn't helpful, but if you do experience that, if you really do experience injustice and you have that deep sense of this is not right, my encouragement would be, um, have some good, fight over has some good memory verses of who Jesus is as the one who brings justice. I think the one you shared about uh was that first Thessalonians was really good. Can okay, I share Second Thessalonians? Second yeah, Second Thessalonians. Um here's my favorite in Revelation nineteen. And when I just when I'm really sh- like in, in 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 India, there is times where this was my favorite verse. So let me here's Jesus. I saw heaven opened. This is Revelation nineteen, one through sixteen. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine lemon, followed behind him on white horses. Out of his mouth came a, a sharp sword which, to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod and tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. I mean, like, that is Jesus. Um, sometimes you might need to look at that picture of Jesus and trust in that picture of Jesus. If you believe Jesus who died for you and forgave you, you also believe in Jesus who is coming back and is going to deal with all this. And you can trust him in that. So I would say start there. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to go to 1 Peter 2, uh, 21 and following. He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. Yeah. So he, Jesus himself was was suffering, and this is in the context, 1 Peter, of uh, encouraging uh, persecuted believers. Uh, Jesus also suffered, but in the midst of his suffering, he um, entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He didn't pay back. He left room for God's judgment. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is sort of that living example of Romans chapter 12. So there's both the temporal, like here, mm-hmm. what do I do now? Well, Romans 12, uh, heap those good deeds on that person. They don't deserve Get a it. shovel. Yeah. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't reserve the gospel deserve the gospel yeah we didn't deserve forgiveness and so i try to heap those good deeds and bless that person how they respond is up to them but in the midst meantime i'm leaving room for god's wrath and how he deals with that person in their heart um 
It is those those actions of good deeds when you've been hurt. It's an otherworldly. It's a supernatural response. Um, and I, again, I'll go back. I think that's where the church can help. Mm-hmm. Uh, holding you accountable, encouraging you. Say, I know, I know, this has gone on forever, but don't give up. The Lord is in this, and walk by faith in it. So, and um, just keep good day by day, one day at a time. Hey, so uh, Dewey, these five responses you had. The first one in, in response to this message, we try to use the connection card to um, put some uh, feet to this, to bring some um, something solid that you can do or a particular way that you can think differently as a result of the passage. Because, you know, we pour out our hearts for 35, 40 minutes or whatever it may be, and we don't want people to just leave having heard another sermon or gained more knowledge as valuable as that can be. But how do we respond? And it's not always something that you go and physically do. Sometimes it is. Other times it's a way to think or Mm -hmm. it's a way to internally respond versus externally. But I thought you had some really good stuff here. So let's conclude with this. So by giving the gospel rather than treating people transactionally, what does that mean? So our relationships are so often, and I see this in marriage counseling a lot, um, husbands and wives, they kind of slip into this like, mode where I'll forgive you if you do this. You know, they might even go so far as to articulate specifically what a person needs to say or do in order to, you know, start giving affection again. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's a very transactional kind of way of thinking. But the gospel is unmerited. God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. And there was mm. nothing we brought to the table. It was purely God's grace. And I believe both in Ephesians 4.32 and then Colossians 3, I don't have the 12, exact. 12 through 14, I, I think. Yeah, we're both, both of those areas were challenged to forgive on the basis of the grace that we've been forgiven. I think Matthew 18, we've talked about that today. Those are very um, grace-driven gospel ways of responding to people. And it's not only negative, it's positive as well. So, you know, the, the technical phrase for what you're talking about is negative reciprocity. If if, so, if my neighbor invites me over for dinner, yeah, I got to invite him, them, right? Yeah. Uh, if, if, if I came and I brought a gift, right? Some cookies, they're going to have to bring something too. And as a culture, we're very transactional and we kept keep a mental image. And that's very contrary to the gospel, which is you're giving, not expecting return. And actually, if someone returns it, you're kind of surprised. You're like, why would you do, you know, but it's not, we don't, we don't operate under the transactional thing. And I think even Jesus spoke about, don't go, don't do good just to those who are good to you. Yeah. To just as don't do repay. evil to those who are evil to you, mm-hmm. both in doing good and in doing evil you don't do it based on any kind of transaction. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good illustration because sometimes if someone brings you a gift, you know, come over for supper or something, they give you, oh, thank you. I don't have anything for you. That's our immediate response. It's like, you gave me a gift, so I, now I'm automatically obligated to give you a gift. Yeah, it's like I invite a friend over for dinner, and they try to pay me for yeah. the like, meal. No, no, it's no. Like, this is, this is it, it, giving. It robs, this is giving. Yeah. It robs the the. Gracious transactional, yeah. Nature of it, it robs the relational nature of it. Well, it, it seems harmless, harmless, but you're right, it does. 
like what it really does is it it when you make when you make it transactional it robs it as being grace mm-hmm. it's no longer gracious yeah and if you try to return it it's like again jesus talked about that of course you like people who like you of course you even greet people who greet you that. even the pagans do that yeah. you have no reward you already have your reward yeah being transactional you already have your reward fine hate those who hate you love those who love you guess what that's it you don't there's no reward for that here's the second thing um, not gossiping posting grumbling venting etc venting even put etc in there dave <laughs> about my enemy <laughs> They, it's you a know what? Request. You, it's you, not gossip. You <laughs> preachers, you, you preachers got too personal. Pastor Blair, I just, I just need to talk to you. What does it matter what I post on my Facebook? Pastor Blair, I just need to talk to you, and I'm just venting here. So <laughs> allow me to vent. Allow me to vent. But Dave is just driving me up the wall. It's like that's what we do. We, so when we so when we talk about living at peace or forgiving one another. So the backdoor way of not talking about it is actually to talk about it in gossip or to just post it uh, I don't, to Facebook. I don't know if you guys feel this. Or, or other social media. Like, I think the past two years have just charged people up. Yes. And so... Yeah, I, haven't, I, I um, haven't gotten my way for two years. I'm going to get my way in something. Yeah, so people are just, I think, just... just Contankerous? <laughs> spring loaded curmudgeon hair trigger <laughs> and it's just like posting on facebook it's like some ruthless stuff just oh, goes man. up there and then i get a bunch of likes and it just validates that mm-hmm. i'm right yeah just see and so mm-hmm. it's just that's what i'm talking about here and that is anti-gospel it is gossip is so evil and we we just do it and it's so maybe that practically speaking though maybe that's a way that you can keep burning coals on someone's head and feeding by actually not going to face or not just facebook but not doing these types of things and rather than uh speaking um or, or, or blessing somebody rather than continuing to tear them down well, yeah, it's part here, of the process how I of do forgiveness it. yeah so i mean I, I think the legalistic action and we can't do this because you can't actually burn a facebook profile right we can go like hey let's all get our facebook profiles and burn it because like social media is bad but like the way i try to practice it is i see people and they're doing this kind of stuff i send them a message a private message and i try to understand where they're coming from and mm-hmm. i try to express my feelings about it how it's perceived how it's perceived. How their post is perceived, yeah. And I'm like, hey, I'm part of the audience of yeah. whoever it is you're throwing this out, which is the world, apparently. It looks like no and one's going to see this. You look, yes. you think you're sharing it privately, and but I hundreds of people little, have seen this. I, you probably didn't intend for me to see it, but I saw it, and I was offended. So, mm-hmm. can we yeah. talk well, about it? I think that if I can jump over my fourth action point was to help, help believers to seek yeah, reconciliation, mm-hmm. according to Matthew... 18, 15 through 20, I think, you know, when we are the recipient of someone venting instead of just giving ear to that, mm-hmm. saying, well, wait a second, can we pray? Mm-hmm. And I want to challenge you to read Matthew 18, 15 through 20. And don't talk to me about this because yeah. you need to go and talk to this person. Yeah. And if you can't go and talk to that person in grace and and private message them, like yeah. Pastor Dave is saying, 
then brother, there's something going on that that's wrong with your heart. And I think we need to do that as believers. Don't give ear to this stuff. And and sometimes these things we, we use, we create new language to do the same thing, uh, which is uh, gossip, right? Like venting. Like venting. So it's like, okay, so let's let's bring in the gospel and talk about this. I believe in venting because God vented his wrath on Jesus for your sins, okay? <laughs> so there is therefore now no room for venting. Any word you want to create, right, uh, for gossip, create a new word. I'll explain the gospel to you and show you why you shouldn't do it, okay? <laughs> so... Yeah, there's no room for venting. Yeah, in terms of, you know, forgiveness and peace, somebody has to stop the craziness, right? And if we're talking, if there's an issue between two people and it gets talked around, it still doesn't get resolved. And then you got three, four years that pass by. The faster you jump on that thing, uh, if you do the Matthew chapter 5 thing about leaving your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother, the faster you deal with this personally and the faster you deal with this head on, uh, there's a, a a good number of times it can get resolved uh, quickly and early, so that further damage isn't done. I, th- I think mi- another one that's said often is, "I know I'm not supposed to be talking about this, but I thought you should know." But yes, yeah, but I thought you should know. I probably know shouldn't say what? this, but I sh- shouldn't say this, but I thought you should know. Yeah, I thought you should know. Like, this. how does it? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then helping believers, or no, the, the last one was making Living Hope Church a place unified on the gospel, not secondary issues. What do you so, mean? So those secondary issues, I think that's, that's really where we fight. That's where fights are, are had, and it's my opinion about this or, or that. Um, I don't know, you can fill in the blank on those secondary issues. Let's be unified on on the gospel and put secondary issues where they belong as mm-hmm. secondary. So major on the majors, minor on the minors. And, and so I think that means that we as Christians can have vigorous debate and maybe even disagreement as long as we understand that this is a secondary issue and that I'm still your brother. You're my sister. So. Good. Well, let's wrap up for today. So uh, just in uh, conclusion, um, again, it's a big issue that people deal with. Uh, at some point in your life, you'll deal with it in a minor way, in a major way, or a minor in a major way all at the same time. <laughs> it's just going to happen. Uh, it happens in tr- Christian churches. It happens in outside relationships. It happens in families. So it's the scripture here, Romans 12, 17 through 21, isn't calling us to something that is normal. It's not calling to something that's actually easy, but it is a a good result, and by faith, we trust God by acting in obedience on these verses, leaving room for God's wrath, ultimate wrath, but then doing our part uh, to bring reconciliation within a relationship or relationships to bring peace, and then responding in kindness rather than wrath and vengeance. So, Pastor Joe, I'd love for you to pray. And Dave had said it too, you know, this isn't something we can do. <laughs> I feel so weak when you approach a passage like this. This is not my natural response. So I guess one thing I would request of you in your prayer is you would just ask for God's strength to work in us, which is not natural to us yeah. in this area. So, Amen. Dear God, we thank you for the gospel. 
We thank you for the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life. He did what we can't do. And so, dear God, we pray that you would give us, based on this gospel, that you would give us the strength, Lord, to live out our identity as being a new creation um, and live into this um, this reality, um, to live in this tension of the already but not yet. And Lord, when we fail, I pray that, dear God, you would help us to not base um, our identity in our failures or our performance, but that, dear God, you would help us to come back to the gospel. And Lord, I pray that we would be motivated to do the right thing in response, um, Lord, and as a result of what you've done in us, this change that you've you've um, done in our hearts. So we pray for your spirit. We pray for your strength. Um, and I pray for people that are out there suffering and dealing with broken relationships that, dear God, you would give them um, just grace. I pray for uh, Living Hope Church that you would help us as as a church to be a place where people are unified, that we um, love one another um, because, Lord, you have loved us. And um, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thanks, men. Uh, thanks for joining our podcast today. Uh, Living Hope of Finley. And please join us next week as we talk about a Christian's relationship to government from Romans 13. That ought to be interesting. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> That's easy.